Let's pray together. Father, we um, thank you for the truth of the words that we just read and ask God that now as we turn to look at those words, study those words, God, I pray that you would not only meet with us today as we are gathered together as your body, as your church, God, but you would, you would speak to us. You would take these words and as Isaiah said, God, they would have their intended effect where they go forward and accomplish the purpose for which you sent them. God, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together as the church, as we're gonna see specifically in these words, God, you're doing something. You're doing something when we're together. And so God, I pray that each and every one of us would pay attention, listen, open our eyes to see, God, so that we can see it and then obviously live in light of it. And God, as always, we ask you to help us, to help me in communicating these words, not only because they're your words, God, but without you, we can't see them and understand them and live in light of them. So God, we thank you for this opportunity. I ask you to bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, we are actually wrapping up chapter two of the letter to the Ephesians. And what I want to do is really kind of pick up where we left off last week. And so if you didn't listen to that message last week, make sure you go and listen to it. But we ended the, the message last week talking about in the, the verses 14 through 16 in particular, how we are now all one body together in Jesus, and I gave you a point, again, I was really proud of, uh, just the alliteration of it, how in one body, Jesus, everybody, literally every body, can now be a part of the body, which is the church. Because you have to remember one of the greatest issues going on at the church of Ephesus, which again, has not been an issue in any other church ever since, was two different groups of people getting along. And I know that that is tough sometimes, and that's why the letter to the Ephesians was written. It's about the body. And so Paul is trying to get them to see how they should all work together, live together, because they all got saved in the same way. They were all saved by grace through faith in Christ. They all have the same starting point. They were all dead. Now they're made alive, Jew and Gentile alike. And they were made alive to be the body of Christ. And to be the body of Christ means they are together. They are working together. They are living together in unity. No more hostility. And so I want to pick up where we left off last week. And our primary verses are going to be verses 17 through 22. Again, we'll finish out the chapter. But I'm going to go back into verses 14, 15, and 16. Because literally, verse 17 just kind of picks it up in that same flow of thought. So let's go back to verse 14. I'll read verses 14 through 18, and then we'll stop and chat about it. It says, for he himself is our peace, that's Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall 
of hostility. That is an important word. You're going to hear it again. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, literally one new humanity. It's the Greek word anthropos, all right? And the anthropology is a study of cultures. It's not just a store that you can go and buy stuff, all right? It's one new humanity in the place of two, so making peace. So Paul has belabored the point up until this point to show Jew and Gentile alike were both dead, now made alive by grace through faith. And he's saying the reason is, is because God wanted us to, to bring both of us together. And the whole picture of this is of marriage, of Jesus and his bride, which we'll get into literally Ephesians chapter five, talking about marriage. But Paul will pick it up again when he says, but really I'm talking about Jesus in the church. And so the idea is two coming together now to make one. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's that word again. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. That's just another way of saying Gentile and Jewish. For though, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So through Jesus, we have access in the spirit to the Father. So these two groups becoming one. And what I wanna do is I wanna pick up on this idea of hostility. Because first it says that literally in his flesh, Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, again, this is a reference to the temple. And you're gonna see, in fact, he's gonna mention the temple in just a little bit, and so we'll get to that in just a second. But what Paul is referring to here is how with the temple mount, it used to be divided, first and foremost, by Gentiles and Jewish people. So you had Gentiles on the outside, literally the court of the Gentiles, then on the Temple Mount, only Jewish people could go through that door. And then once you got into that door, then it was divided by female and male. So you had the court of the women. Then you could go in a little bit further. You had the men, which not saying men are better than women. It was just a leadership thing. And then another division from there, you had the men to the priests. And so only you had the court of the priests right outside the holy place. And then in between the holy place and the holy of holies, was another divider, and that is where the big curtain was, where when Jesus died, that was literally torn in two. So here's the significance of what Paul's saying. When Jesus died, he broke down the dividing wall between humanity and God. That was the temple curtain, the holy of holies. Humans could only go in, a high priest could only go in once a year to offer sacrifices. Jesus is now our high priest. So that dividing wall between man and God is now gone. But that's not the only dividing wall that's gone. The dividing wall between man and God is gone, but the dividing wall between man and man is gone. Man and different type of men. By man, I just mean mankind, people groups. In between men and women, in between Jew and Gentile. So what Paul is saying is, not only did Jesus do away with the entire temple sacrificial system, 
But watch this. He did away with the divisions by which it was based on. He did away with all of it. And just in case we didn't get the message when he says that he literally, he abolished it. The, he, he abolished the wall of hostility. But then Paul goes a step further. Not only did he abolish the wall, he says he killed it. Thereby killing hostility. Killing hostility. Now, I want us to think about this word hostility. In fact, I'm gonna give you some definitions here. Again, if you've been around, you know, I like words. But the word hostility is, the root word is hostile. And then the suffix or the ending, I-T-Y, anytime you put that on a word, it's describing, well, let me just give it to you. Hostile, here, I have it here on the screen. Here's what hostile means. Hostile is unfriendly, opposed, antagonistic, characteristic of an enemy. In fact, we even, even in military terms, we'll say somebody is a hostile. It's an enemy. But hostile, again, means unfriendly, opposed, antagonistic. All right, just think of someone you don't like. Hostile. Well, the suffix ity is a suffix used to form abstract nouns, listen to this, and expressing state or condition. So anytime you put the word or the suffix ity on a word, you're describing that word as a condition or a state. And not a state as in the sense like Georgia is a state, but a state means this is the culture. This is the state of affairs. This is the condition. So think about this. Here's what hostility is. Now let's bring these two together again. So hostility is a state of deep-seated ill will. I like this one. Enmity which I don't know if you realize this, but same thing, enmity, E-M-I-T-Y, is literally the word enemy a T. But enemy a T doesn't sound right, so we just shortened the enemy and just made it enmity. But it's literally the state or condition of being an enemy, which is what it says next, being an enemy of, and just in case you didn't understand what hostility is, here it is, not friendly, warm, or generous, not hospitable. Now, you might think I'm giving you this message because you're gonna see your family next week for the holidays. <laughs> I'm not saying it doesn't have application to that, okay? But that's not why you're getting this message. You're getting this message because it's the next verses in Ephesians. However, it is timely. Because if we are in Christ, watch this, anywhere we go, we should not create a state of hostility. Anywhere we go. Why? Because our founder killed it. Our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus, he killed hostility. But here's what I found. Christians believe in the resurrection so much, they resurrect hostility. We resurrect things that Jesus kills. 
We keep bringing it back. How do I know this? Anybody here resurrected a sin that Jesus killed in your own heart? Yeah, I did like yesterday, right? Jesus killed the state or the condition, watch this, of considering anyone your enemy. This is what amazes me by Christians. It amazes me about Christians about how hostile they can be. How when they show up, it's not the party shows up, it's the unfriendliness shows up. How the not warmness shows. These are the people that they light up the room when they leave it. Because their darkness was overshadowing. You with me when I say that? Not warm, not friendly, not generous. Your nature is just one of an antagonist. Here's my favorite, and by favorite, I mean it's not my favorite. When people say, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Uh, can I just let you in on a secret? The devil don't need no advocate. So quit trying to be one for him. Why would you say that anyway? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Oh, we know you a devil. And we're trying to cast you out. Now, I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. I'm not saying you can't bring up something that you know other people might just inherently disagree with. But here's what I am saying. We should operate out off of one of our core family values here at Revolution Church, which if you go through stewardship, we'll talk about this, which is this. We call it a family culture statement is I'm going to assume the best about somebody and I'm going to ask questions. I'm not going to assume the worst about them and this, then just accuse them. I mean, that right there can solve almost 90% of your relational problems. What would that change if you went home with your spouse or your child or your parent or your coworker and you just started assuming the best about their intentions and you just started asking them questions, not in a hostile way, but in a hospitable way. See, it's interesting. He says, Jesus killed the hostility. Well, if he killed the hostility, then what did he resurrect in its place? Hospitality. What is hospitality? Well, let me give it to you. Same idea. I'm going to break it down here for you. Comes from the word hospital. We know that. What is a hospital? Literally, it's lodging for pilgrims or travel travelers. This one I find funny. A hostel. A hostel is not really a word we use, right? It's more old English. But a hostel is like an inn. It's like, I mean, we might call it a hotel or motel, right? It's a place that puts people up. Now, over the years, the word hospital obviously has shifted a little bit to where now, in our common vernacular, a hospital is not just a place where you put someone up, it's where you put a sick person up and you try to care for them. 
So the word hospitality, based upon the root word hospital, again, I-T-Y, same thing, a suffix used to form abstract nouns expressing a state or a condition. So when I put hospital and I-T-Y together, I get hospitality, and here's the definition of that. The quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. Hospitality. The quality of disposition or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. What means is we are now in Christ to create a state of hospitality, a condition of hospitality, not a condition of hostility. Because he killed hostility. And now he resurrected hospitality. This is why Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And sometimes our enemy is our own family. Sometimes our enemy is our inner me. I don't know about you, but ain't nobody messed me up more than me. Which means sometimes I have to understand I'm my own worst enemy and I need to love me. And I'm not saying love me in a selfish way, but I'm saying love me in a hospitable way and not just degrade myself like you're a horrible piece of trash. Nobody would love you. Well, apparently Jesus does. So you got to even watch that. So you got to assume the best, right? So think about it like this. In Christ now, he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And now instead of dividing people into hostile or friendly, you look at everybody as family. And some of you are like, that's not a great illustration because family a lot of times is my hostility. Family is my enemy. Not the family of God. In fact, that's exactly where Paul goes next. Look at this. So then, so then, right? Purpose statement. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Two things he says there. So then, you're no longer a stranger. You're no longer an alien. He says you're a kingdom. You're a kingdom. <laughs> no, you're not. You're a citizen of the kingdom, and you're a member of the family. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and you're a member of the family of God. What does that mean? It means my citizenship in heaven should override my citizenship of my country. And my membership in the family of God should be the defining characteristic, not my current family membership. Doesn't mean we don't love my family. Doesn't mean we don't love our country. What it means, though, is we have a higher allegiance. Now I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Well, how do citizens of the kingdom of heaven act? 
We don't just act by the Constitution, we act by the Word of God. See, the defining document for an American citizen, I've said this often, and it is arguably the second greatest document ever written behind only this one. And so the Constitution is the thing that our military and all of our leaders are protecting or supposed to. And we as citizens are supposed to use that as our guiding document of how we live and breathe. One of the biggest problems in the early part of America is we didn't live up to those ideals. We didn't treat everybody as equal. Thank God we've made strides in that as a country. But in the same way, now, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, this is my guiding document of how I act as a citizen. This is my guiding document is how I act as a family member. And what it tells me is this, show hospitality. I can give you four verses that say that. Romans 12, 13, 1 Timothy 5, 10, Hebrews 13, 2, 1 Peter 4, 9. Show hospitality. Here's what I find amazing. Again, if you haven't been around, you know I love words. The word stranger, there in Greek, is literally the word xenos, X-E-N-O-S. If you've ever heard of, on TV, xenophobia, it comes after this Greek word. Xenos just means stranger. That's all it means. And so xenophobia is a fear of strangers, basically. But what's interesting about the word hospitality is it's literally this Greek word made up of two words, philo, xenos. Philo, xenos. And if you know anything about the Greek language, the Greek language has multiple words for the word love, and one of those is that word. It's where we get our city in Pennsylvania called Philadelphia, right? Which I'm not saying it's in any way biblical, but, because then I'd have to like it. No, I'm just kidding. I love it. I don't like their teams, but I like it. All right. But what is it? It's the city of what kind of love? Brotherly love. Philo. It's, it's the idea, this word, brotherly, friendship. The word for God is agape. There's eros, right? And then there's this one. So here's literally what the word hospitality in Greek means, stranger love. Now that sounds like a weird kind of pop song, right? But no, the idea of it is to show hospitality is to love a stranger as though they are your friend. To love a stranger as though they are your brother. You see that? See, being hospitable is not just having some snacks out when people come over or pushing everything into a few closet spaces so that your house looks good, right? That's not hospitality. That's just called cleanliness. But the reason why the Bible commands us to show hospitality is because what it's saying is, you used to be a stranger, 
You used to have a dividing wall between you and God, but Jesus came and showed you hospitality. He came and showed you a stranger. We just talked about this last week. A stranger to the covenants of promise outside the commonwealth of Israel, right? But Jesus came and he loved you, a stranger to the covenants of promise as though you were his friend, as though you were his brother. This is what Jesus says before he was crucified. I call you my brothers. I call you my friend. And greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. That's hospitality. It is love of the other as though they are family. And that is the state or condition now that Jesus wants his church to create. His people, the members of his family. And this is so important to realize. If you were here last week, the title of the message was, Therefore Remember. Because verse 11 starts off with that. Therefore, remember. Remember that you at one time were separated from Christ. You were a stranger, right? Therefore, remember. And I told you that the word remember, anytime you see the word, the prefix R, it means, or R-E, means again and again. And the word member means memory. So to remember is to bring to mind again and again. And we talked about the word uh, reflect, reflect. To bend back again and again. But there's another element to remember. And this one is not about bringing back to mind. It's not you doing something in your own mind. It's you doing something, watch this, with other members of the body. Let me give you the point and I'll explain it. We are called to remember, which is to bring to mind, and remember, which is to join together. Two things we're called to do. We're called to remember in our mind. Remember what? Remember that we were separated from Christ. We were strangers. We had a dividing wall of hostility between us and God. But in Jesus, God the Father obliterated that wall. He killed the hostility. So now we are to remember that we were once a stranger, but now we're not. But there's a second thing that we are to remember. I don't know if you picked up on this, but in verse 19, he said, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members. Members of the household of God. Members, family members, church members. We don't have membership here, we call it stewardship because of the concept of once you join a family, you are now responsible for it. But the idea of a member, think about it. It's a part of the body like a finger or a hand or an ear or an eye or a foot or a kneecap 
I don't have to keep going. You get the point, right? Here's what he's getting at. The thing that we are to remember is not just to bring back to our mind. We are to remember by bringing the different parts of the body together. We are to remember them. We are to reconnect them. We are to rejoin them. Because that's what God wants to do. In fact, look at the next couple verses. I love this. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the apostles, the 12 apostles, the prophets in the Old Testament, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, watch this, in whom the whole structure, he's referring to the body here, the church, the whole structure being what? That's what you sound like. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Come on, everybody, Jasper, every gathering. Being what? Joined together. That's remembering. Being joined together. Think of a puzzle piece. You're bringing two pieces together. You're connecting them. You're joining them together. And when you join them together, you get a beautiful picture. When they're not joined together, you get a bunch of pieces. And it's not very beautiful because it's fragmented. And sadly, that's what a lot of our churches look like. A lot of our churches look like half put together puzzle pieces. Because we're not working to be joined together. We're not working to remember people to join them back together. Look at this. Being joined together grows into a holy temple. There's that word that we talked about earlier. Into a holy temple in the Lord, in him, Jesus. You are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. One of the most amazing things that happened when Jesus tore down the dividing wall in the temple was the temple was always a shadow of a future reality. That temple was a physical representation of the house of God. But the house of God, according to Ephesians 2, a dwelling place is us. And how do you build a house of God made of stones? You build it by first putting down the cornerstone, which Paul says is Christ. Let me give you the definition of this. Here's cornerstone. It's a foundation stone or setting stone. I, I, I'm, I love this. Like, love it. I'm, I'm gonna get real excited. I just got to, look, listen, listen to this. This is not even a Bible definition. But, but just listen to this. And I'm not even a masonry. Foundation, like, people are like, does he normally get this excited about stones? Yeah. Foundation stone or setting stone? Listen to this. Is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation, watch this, 
All other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. All other stones, Jewish stones, Gentile stones, American stones, European stones, African stones, Arab stones, Antarctica stones, if there's anybody living there. See what I'm saying? It's one building. It's one tree. And we're all built into the house of God. Every stone is placed in reference to the cornerstone, which means every stone is dependent upon the cornerstone. Every cornerstone or every stone is set according to. Remember according to a few weeks ago? If you weren't here, go back and listen to that. According to the grace of God displayed in Christ. See, every stone gets set on the mount of the dwelling place of God by grace in reference according to the cornerstone. And here's what he's saying. They have to be joined together in order to be built together. They have to be joined together in order to be built together. So let me ask this question. Maybe one of the reasons why our churches aren't being built up by God, the Holy Spirit, is because we refuse to be joined together. See, if we're not joined together, we can't be built together. Notice the wording. This is where I get excited, y'all. Being the cornerstone. Let me say it like this. The cornerstone is being. You're like, that don't make no sense, but it's great theology. The cornerstone is the essence of being. The cornerstone is I am, who is. He is being. See what I'm saying? You gotta know your Old Testament for this. Yahweh. This is why they wanted to kill Jesus, by the way, because he says, before Abraham was, he didn't say I was. He said, I am. The Jewish people understood him to say in that moment he was claiming to be God in the flesh because he was. He is being. But here's what's cool. There's two other beings. Being the cornerstone, being joined together, being built together. In the being of the cornerstone, or let me say it like this, by the being of the, by the existence, by the power of the cornerstone, stones from every tribe, tongue, and nation on the planet are being joined together. God is calling out citizens and family members from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. 
and he's joining them together in one body, the body of Christ. And they are being built together. Being built together. Last point. In Christ, we are being joined together so that we can be built together. Notice not only the continuity of the word being, but notice also the continuity of the word together. Together. Let me say it like this. It is a foreign concept to the Bible for an individual Christian to be built up by themselves. It's a foreign concept. And one of the downsides to the evangelistic efforts of the last century and trying to get people to make decisions for Christ, which is a great thing, we individualized it so much where people thought when they were saved, it was Jesus and me. Instead of thinking it was Jesus and we. Jesus and we. God is not just saving persons, individual persons. Yes, they are individual stones. But he is bringing all those stones together because he's building a people. A people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Not a Jewish one, not a Gentile one, but a new one, a new humanity. So this idea, and this is what amazes me, and we're so busy today, and we got everything to do and all this kind of stuff. People are like, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right, you don't. You just have to know Jesus. But if you know Jesus, you're a part of his family. And if you're a part of your family, they want you to be together, join together, right? Next week at Thanksgiving, for some of us, it'll be painfully obvious about who's not there. And maybe it's because they passed away. And we grieve because they're not there. But worse than that are the people who won't be there by choice. Because somehow, some way, at some time, the family broke down. It's painfully obvious every time we gather as a church on Thursdays or on the weekends, the people that are not here. Sometimes because the people that have passed away. But what's worse than that are those that are not here by choice. Because I can guarantee you something. If we're not joined together, we will not be built together. That's how it happens. That's what it says. In Christ, we are being joined together so that we can be built together. So if we are not experiencing 
being built. We would call that spiritual growth. We're not experiencing spiritual growth. Almost always it's because we're trying to grow on our own. Trying to kick this habit by myself. Which is why the first step of any 12-step program is you are helpless. My life became unmanageable. But second step is I need help outside of myself. It's almost like that's biblical. Yeah, because the founder of AA was a Christian. If we're not joined together, we can't be built together. So yeah, you can be a Christian without going to church, but you will not be built up into one that's growing if you're not joined together with other believers, gathered together under the authority of the apostles and the prophets. That's a church. A church is led by elders practices the ordinances, communion and baptism, preaches the word of God, disciples people into obedience to Jesus Christ, our head, because we're the body. I mean, <laughs> I referenced this some last week. But a Christian trying to grow on their own is as useless as a finger trying to live by itself. Finger can't live by... Cut that finger off and see what happens. Some of y'all sadly have figured that one out. What's gonna happen? It's gonna rot because there's no blood, because there's no heart, because there's no veins, because there's no brain, because there's no oxygen. Cut it off, it will wither and waste away. It grieves my heart to know how many Christians out there are withering away, rotting. Because somewhere, sometime, at some point, somebody hurt their feelings and they unjoined themselves from the church. Listen, outside of me messing up myself, no one makes me more mad than my wife, Lindsay. And the feeling's mutual, by the way. No one makes her mad, more mad than me. But it's because there's no one I love more than Lindsay. So you got passion and frustration all in one relationship. But just because she hurt me, I'm not gonna divorce her. Because watch this. It's in the actual being joined back together as we deal with our junk that we're actually built together. You see what I'm saying? We actually assume the best, ask, forgive, apologize, and watch, and show hospitality to one another. So church, as we wrap up chapter two, I wanna encourage you with something. God wants to build us together. If we will join him in what his spirit is doing and being joined together. 
every tribe, tongue, and nation. If we consider strangers to us, maybe they're strangers to you ethnically. They're a different race. Maybe they're strangers to you politically. Maybe they're strangers to you in gender. Maybe they're strangers to you in social standing. But if you love that stranger like a brother, like a sister, you'll be joined together with them and in Christ you'll be built together. And Jesus said, and the gates of hell won't stop that church. That church that's joined together and built together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, came, took on our flesh, put on a body, and died and rose again so that he could create a body called the church that everybody could be joined together in. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. All of us are set in reference to him. And so, God, I know there are people today here that maybe they think that they are too much of a stranger to you. They are too far outside of the grace of God for you to love them. God, I pray that you would open their eyes right now and show them that in Christ, although they were still sinners, they were strangers, Christ died for them because he loves them like a brother. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you have never come to that place where you've trusted in Jesus and you've been made a family member, a citizen of the kingdom, then right now you can pray in faith and be saved. So nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you wanna pray and trust Jesus, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son, Jesus, in my place for my sin. I believe that though I was a stranger, he loved me. And now I confess and repent of my sins and I'm trusting in him to save me. I want to be a part of your family. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if that was you and you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? We got men and women that are here gonna put a gift in your hand with some next steps when they do, you can put your hand down. Thank you. Welcome to the family. Within those of us that are a part of the family, we're part of the family of God. I just wanna encourage you to quit resurrecting what Christ killed. Quit bringing hostility back to life in your heart. He killed it. And now by grace, ask him to give you hospitality, a love for the other, treating strangers as family. And then I wanna encourage you to commit to continue 
to gather together. And that's not just weekend gatherings. That's joining a team. That's joining a small group. That's serving in mission opportunities. When you have opportunities to join together, be together so that we can be built together. Father, I pray that not only would you remind us that we were once separated from Christ, but now in Christ we have been brought near. God, I pray that by grace we wouldn't just remember that, but we would remember. We would join together. Just as Jesus said about marriage, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God, I pray you would join us together, join our hearts together, join our minds together, join our hands as we all come together doing our part to form the body of Christ, the church. And God, as we're joined together, we pray that you would build us together. We need each other. And so, Father, I pray for that kind of unity in our church. And it's all in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Love you, church.